together we get stronger. Isolated, we fall apart. We all are grieving, and my goal is to help us learn to not stop grieving, but to grieve healthily. And my passion for my fellow caregivers is that we can live a calmer, healthier, and dare I whisper it, a more joyful life while dealing with very harsh circumstances. I'm Jana Panaritis, and this is the AgeWise Podcast, where we give you strategies for aging well and wisely. This is episode 122 of the podcast. Let's do it. In a recent opinion piece for the Washington Examiner newspaper, today's guest, Peter Rosenberger, wrote the following. Politicians, pharmaceutical companies, physicians, patients, attorneys, law enforcement, and the common citizen have all weighed in on the public health emergency we know as the opioid crisis. Yet one demographic with significant input on this issue has received little or no mention in the discourse of chronic pain patients and opioids. That would be the 65 million and growing population of family caregivers. Peter's been caring for his wife, Grace, for over 30 years, and he's here to weigh in as a member of that overlooked demographic of family caregivers. He's the author of several books, including Hope for the Caregiver, now in its fourth printing. He's also a musician whose piano recordings are designed to give comfort and strength to caregivers, and he hosts a very popular radio show called Caregivers with Hope, which broadcasts weekly from Music Row in his hometown of Nashville, Tennessee, which is where he joins us from today. Peter Rosenberger, I am so happy and honored to have you on the AgeWise podcast. Welcome to the show. Jenna, it's a thrill. It is truly a thrill, and thank you for taking your time to cover this incredibly important uh, aspect of the life of a caregiver. So before we dive into your article for The Examiner, Let's put this in context. Tell us a bit about your background and, in particular, how you and your wife, Grace, met. Well, somebody asked me the other day, they said, how did you get into being a caregiver? And I said, well, I did it the old-fashioned way. I married. <laughs> so it's, uh, my wife was hurt, actually, before I met her. Uh, mm. She was hurt in a horrible car accident 34 years ago this month. And she, they didn't think she'd live, uh, much less ever walk again, have children again, have any kind of family. But she did. She was in great shape before it happened, and she bounced back as, as, uh, amazingly enough. By the time I met her, she had had about, uh, I guess, about 20 major surgeries that we could count. Oh, my. And most of it tried to save her legs. And uh, she had a limp, I noticed, when I met her. And, but just this beautiful young woman uh, with an incredible spirit about her. And then uh, I heard her sing, and I was like, well, it's over. I'm done. <laughs> I'm taking care of this girl for the rest of my life. But I had no idea what that meant. Mm-hmm. I didn't know what it was like to be in a relationship with somebody who was hurt uh, as bad as she was. And I also didn't know really how badly she was hurt. Uh, I don't think she really knew. Hmm. I think that, that, you know, it was one of those things that just kept evolving. And so this thing, um, the doctor said, if you're going to have children, have them while you're young. Mm-hmm. And I said, well, okay, baby, I got a prescription for this. The doctor says we got to. And uh, <laughs> here it is right now. And, she, and I said, I don't know if that's covered under Obamacare. But I bet it's covered under Clinton Care. Um, uh-huh. But I no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> uh, so we had our first son, and and the right leg just took the brunt of that, and uh, mm. she ended up giving up her right leg after her first son was born. But she bounced back, and um, quality prosthetics helped, and and we had our second son, but that took her left leg. Uh, it, it really didn't take it. Let me let me correct that. Yeah, it clarify that. What, mm-hmm. it, it accelerated the inevitable. Okay. Uh, the, the the lower legs were just so damaged. 
And so she journeyed now as life as a young mother and wife and mother with uh, two prosthetic legs. And but then the surgeries kept going for back stuff. Uh, saving the legs have been important, but now repairing the legs even post amputation just to keep from having to amputate higher. Yeah. So far that I could count, we're at seventy-eight surgeries that I can count. Seventy-eight. About, oh my! And it, uh, almost that many in uh, or more in smaller procedures mm-hmm. uh, that I just I just can't keep track of. Eighty plus doctors have treated her more than uh, in more than twelve hospitals. She's had seven different insurance companies. And well over now, $10 million that I can count. It, it's kind of ridiculous at this point. It, and it keeps growing. It doesn't show any signs of letting up. Uh, don't know that it will. Um, she's mm-hmm. not terminal, but she's incredibly broken. Yeah. And she's had seasons where she was able to do amazing things. Mm-hmm. Uh, she learned how to snow ski as a double amputee. Wow. She has sung for presidents and, and so forth. And I mean, she, she's done some amazing things. We launched a prosthetic limb outreach to her fellow amputees in West Africa. Hmm. And uh, but then she has, you know, it, it's ne- she's never been in good health, mm-hmm. but uh, sometimes it's she has uh, hard days and then she has brutal days. She mm-hmm. never has an easy day. Mm-hmm. And how old um, is she now? And she's fifty-one. Okay. So this has been going on since Reagan's first term. That's a long time to be hurt. And during that time, I've handled millions of dollars in street value of opioids. Right. Um, right. You're talking about significant amount of, of pain. Uh, medications right. and and I think this is what brings me to your conversation today and the reason I wrote the op-ed and and have weighed into this because all the prescriptions that I've received all the times I've picked up the, the drugs at the pharmacy nobody's ever looked across the, the prescription pad nobody's ever looked across the pharmacy desk and said hey dude we're putting a lot of chemicals into your wife's body over a long period of time you might want to get some counseling for you you might want to see uh, go to a support group for you to be able to deal with this because it's a rocky road. You, should, you, you can't treat a, a pain patient in isolation. It's a family issue. Pain is a, chronic pain is a family issue, and treatment of chronic pain is a family issue. Mm-hmm. And you show me a chronic pain patient on opioids, and I'll show you a weary caregiver. Yeah. Who's overwhelmed and struggling and frustrated and doesn't know what to do. And sometimes it's it's a pretty easy step to go from caregiver to enabler. You wrote about the dangers of caregivers helping themselves to something that will make them feel better. That is their care recipient's supply of medications. How common is that? You know, I hear about it a lot. And, and not just the, 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 the family member that's the caregiver. The, the, sometimes if, if you live far away from your loved one and, and your mother falls and breaks her hip and she's recovered from surgery and you have a paid caregiver in there with her you'll have that kind of situation. I had that in the home here with me I had a lady that was helping me with my wife I work out of my offices in my home I work here mm-hmm. and I had a lady helping my wife and she helped herself to some of Gracie's medication oh my and god I was in the home wow so I mean you know we fired her and so forth but that 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 was a bad situation but but this is this is if it's going to happen to me and I've literally written the book for caregivers I I'm the first ever syndicated radio show for caregivers mm-hmm. and it happened to me I can't imagine that it's not happening to others. So um, when you say it happened to me, are you saying you've been tempted to help yourself to her medications? Oh, and have you? No, no. I'm talking about having somebody steal from me like okay, that. Okay. I have not. In all my years, which is really kind of odd, I have never taken any of her medication or opioids. Mm-hmm. Uh, never even really been tempted to for me. Now, that doesn't mean I haven't had my other struggles and other issues that I've gone through. I'm the crash test dummy of caregivers. Right. I love that phrase of yours. You know, <laughs> you know it's, if you fail at it, I fail at it. But that's not necessarily the case. 
Mm-hmm. And it doesn't mean necessarily if you have a paid caregiver, they're always going to do it. And sure. it doesn't mean that the paid caregiver is going to necessarily do it for themselves. They may be doing it for a boyfriend or a spouse or right. whatever that's got a problem right. that has a dependency. And they're just helping themselves because Mrs. Smith is not going to miss one Lortab or one Oxycontin. Right. And then it turns into something more. And this, this happens quite a bit. This happens actually in hospitals. I used to work years ago for um, uh, an organization that, dealt with a lot of this stuff and we had a big problem in Tennessee with nurses stealing drugs for deadbeat boyfriends and that was in the hospital so and in the home where there's even less less, less oversight right yeah or, or, you, you, you know this is going to be a real problem so we have to be smart about this we have to deal with this and I've noticed as the president rolls this thing out you know again the one seat at the table that's empty is the seat for the family caregiver of anybody that has some kind of longevity and a voice of authority and respect to the caregiver community to say, hey, wait a minute, y'all are not just thinking through this entire problem. The opioid crisis is not limited to people just buying you know, illicit drugs from some guy named Rooster behind the dumpster somewhere. Mm-hmm. I mean, this is, Why this is, is going that, on in that, our home. That seat is empty, do you think? I think that people just don't think about the caregivers. We are kind of the invisible workforce of this yep. nation. We provide over $300 billion of unpaid labor for in this country every year. And, uh, you know, if we all went on strike, our economy would collapse. Yeah. And, right. and, people, and people would die. And, and I think that, you know, it's so easy. I can't tell you how many people have asked me over the years, how is my wife doing? But I can count the ones who ask me how I'm doing. Mm-hmm. And see, caregivers lose their identity. That's one of the three eyes that every caregiver deals with. We lose our independence, we become isolated, and we lose our identity. Ask mm-hmm. a caregiver how you are doing, and guess what? You'll hear, well, she had a bad day, or he just got home from the hospital, or our situation is this, or we didn't do this. You know, it's very hard for them to speak in that I word. Mm-hmm. I hurt. I'm tired. I'm terrified. I just hacked off. You know, whatever. I don't care what comes after the word I, because now we can have an honest conversation. And I think that's why caregivers are not considered in this because we're so busy blending into the back of the room or the hospital room or the examination room. We're the ones just pushing the wheelchair, and everybody's focused on who's in the wheelchair. That's and so I'm, true. I'm the guy that's keeping it on the, on the rails here. Yeah, and also I think there's a little bit of sexism going on there because a lot of women are caregivers. You're absolutely right. And this is one of the reasons I, I get a little bit indignant about this, because when you talk about caregivers, most people talk to caregivers like we're just reading some kind of, uh, you know, Hallmark card. You know, oh, I hate you that. Know, and, and, and the flowers and the trees and the birds and, the, you know, and I'm a second degree black belt. I'm not exactly what you think of when you think of a family caregiver, but I have known no other way since I was 22 years old. Mm-hmm. And I'm pretty darn aggressive about it. And I'm on a mission to strengthen my fellow caregivers with, with everything I have in me. I use even things I learned in martial arts. And taking care of being a caregiver is a full contact sport. For Make sure. Make no mistake about so it. So what are the martial I arts would, things that you're using? Well, I, two things. I actually show some self-defense thing because so many people taking care of an aging loved one. If you got, think of this. If you've got a five-foot-five lady taking care of her six-foot-one husband with dementia, she's going to get hurt. And he, he's going to hurt her, not intentionally, sure. but he's going to do it. Mm-hmm. And I, ra- I, asked, I was speaking in Alaska one time at a, a conference of nurses. And this is just a bunch of nurses who also serve as caregivers in their home because nurses are always the first person the family asks. And I said, how many of you all have been grabbed by a loved one mm-hmm. or a patient or whatever? 100%. 
I said, how many of you all have been choked? Nearly 100%. Wow. So I stopped right there and showed them how to get out of some choke and grab things without hurting their loved one, but making sure that they were safe. But the other thing I do with martial arts, I do a self-defense art. Well, in order to defend oneself, one has to value oneself. Yeah. And I have noticed, Jana, that so many caregivers have self-esteem that is in the toilet. Mm. We treat ourselves without mercy. We berate ourselves. And I wouldn't hang around somebody who treats me the way I treat myself. Mm-hmm. And I've determined I want to show caregivers the value that they have for what they're doing and who they are as a person, what it says about them. I want to grab as many by the lapels and lift them up to a place where they can catch their breath and realize that the extraordinary person they are for doing it and help them stay healthy and breathe healthy and be able to make healthy decisions. And also show them how to navigate through a lot of the quagmire of of criticism that comes not just from their loved one, but from family members who sit on the sidelines and yet feel free to criticize. Or parachute in with all kinds of already tried and and tested methods. Yeah. I mean, you know, all of a sudden I got all these experts up in the stands. And I remember I've had people like Hmm. this in my life. And I said this in my book. I said, look, I will give as much time to critics in proportion as they help. (laughs) Yeah. And, That's a good way of you know, it. and I've asked one person, I said, I don't want to hear from somebody in the cheap seat. You want to get involved? <laughs> Come on down. There's plenty of room. Yeah. But otherwise, shut up and go on home. Now, how many caregivers have the gumption to say that to people? Yeah. When you're second degree black belt, I guess it helps that you have, you know, that kind of training. <laughs> or you're but a strong I, Greek woman like me. <laughs> well, and that's that's the thing. And I want I want us all. I don't think we have to be male or female yeah. to deal with this. I think yeah. we just be human beings who have had enough and recognize the value of what we do and how important it is. And we're not going to take crap from anybody. Well, Peter, how have and you I've, coped and how have you managed to, you know, keep yourself afloat? What do you do to help yourself? And how are you doing now? Well, thank you for asking. First off, <laughs> I'm doing, I'm doing fine. The, the holidays are tough, tough for caregivers. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, so this time of year, uh, you know, it's it's uh, there's always a lot of hustle and bustle and makes a little bit extra stuff. So it gets it it grates on me. But I have a support group that I go to twice a week, sometimes three times a week. Mm-hmm. I go to martial arts two or three times a week as well. I spend a lot of time with my music. Yeah, And I play a lot. I've been a pianist since I was five years old. I majored in it. So I spent a lot of time at the piano working out the kinks of my soul. And that's how I cope with this. That's how I deal with this. In the past, I've had destructive behaviors. I got I moral failures, the whole thing. I mean, listen, I, I, I really am the crash test dummy of caregivers. Mm-hmm. And that's why I understand the treacherous path that this is. You can't do this for 30 plus years and not have a lot of scars on your body and on your heart. Yeah. And I have all of those things, but I've learned from those things, okay, that's a bad place. I'm not a there, there kind of guy. I'm a don't go down there kind of guy. Right. You know, because right. that's, that's a bad place. Circle Look with a me. slash. Look what it did to me. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And then, you know, really the most important way that I deal with this, Jenna, is coming on shows like yours. Because every time I say these things out loud, it reinforces it in my own heart. Because in our isolation, we listen to our own dark thoughts. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. And we listen to ourselves too much, but we don't speak to ourselves enough. Mm -hmm. And when I speak out loud, when I'm here on your show, I'm not preaching to everybody else. I'm preaching to me. And Mm -hmm. uh, this is life itself for me because this is not going to go away anytime soon. I'm not going to stop being a caregiver anytime on the foreseeable horizon. And I've got to make sure that I'm in a healthy place where I can make better decisions morally, financially, 
physically, emotionally, professionally. 47% of caregivers are in the workforce. So I've got to make good decisions. I had a lady call me up the other day, and she was going to t- quit her job and sit by her husband's hospital bed for 24-7. And I said, whoa, put the brakes on, honey. Stop. Yeah. No, that's not going to happen because you're no good to him if you're broke and unemployed. So many people do that, though. They're just in desperation mode. They're in reaction mode. So it's a natural human instinct if you care about yeah. someone that much. We recklessly hurl ourselves at somebody who is in distress and danger. I get that. And, and that's fine if you're at the scene of a trauma accident, if you're a trauma surgeon. But that's not fine if you're doing this for weeks, months, years, and in my case, decades. You can't function like that. You can't hold your breath long enough. You're going to have to put on your mask first, as they, everybody tells you. Right. You talk about well, the Delta I, you know, Doctrine. What is that? Well, I was flying out of Atlanta, which, you know, on Delta, which that's what Delta stands for. Duh, everything leaves through Atlanta. <laughs> and uh, so... It's, uh, you know, and they come on and they say, you know, put your mask on first. We've all heard that. We've yeah. all heard it as caregivers. But two things. One of them is they don't tell you how to open up the peanuts, which are surprisingly difficult to open. By the way. <laughs> right. I have spilled them on a lot of people. Uh-huh. And then they don't tell you how to deal with that atomic suction device known as the toilet that they have in there. They figure we're going to figure that thing out. <laughs> but they tell us every single time to put our mask on. Why? Because everybody in the flight industry, airline executives, government officials, pilots, flight attendants, they all know it's counterintuitive that we're going to try to hold our breath and recklessly try to help somebody else before we are in a safe place. Mm -hmm. And as I thought about that, I thought, okay, well, what does it look like to put your mask on first? And I came up with three simple things just to start off with, just for today, that cost nothing. WWW, wait, water, walk, wait. Most of the trauma that happens to us as caregivers comes at these emotional flashpoints where we have conflict. We get crosswise with people, with family members, with doctors, whatever, with our loved one who will say things out of impairment that we just want to take issue with and we just turn into lunatics. So I say, wait, just bite your tongue and learn to like the taste of blood. Just wait. You don't have to go to every fight you get a ticket to. You could just sit a few of them out. Just let it go on by. This is what I do in martial art. Learn how to redirect somebody else's energy. I don't have to confront them on every issue. I can just let it go on by. Wait. Water. Drink some water. Drink to think. Always carry water with you because it gives you something to put in your mouth besides words. Hmm. Just take a moment to drink some cool water. Cool your blood pressure down. Just cool off. Hydrate your brain so you think better. Not sodas, not coffee, not tea, water. Not certainly not Red Bull. I mean, look, <laughs> you don't need you don't need to see me on on any kind of energy drink. You know, I, I drink basically one cup of coffee a day, and that's not every day. Uh, mm. So I try to be incredibly careful. I try to drink a lot of water, uh, and then walk. When things get just super nuts, go out and just take a walk and bleed off that stress for about five minutes. Get your blood flowing. Give it a chance to cool off, and just walk. None of those things cost anything. What do you say to the caregiver who says, I can't take a walk. I can't leave my mom at home alone. You could walk to the back of the house. There you go. And back and forth. Just walk in a circle in your den for all I care. <laughs> but just start physically moving okay. away in another room. Mm-hmm. And if you're in a situation where you can't leave your mom enough to walk, then I'm telling you, you are inches away from this thing turning into a Greek tragedy. You're going to have to get some help. I don't know what it looks like. It is not always a lack of resources. Sometimes it's a lack of resourcefulness. But caregivers, right. one of the landmines I talk about with caregivers is we think it's all up to us. Mm-hmm. 
and it's not. But we got to get very specific on what help looks like. Help doesn't look like necessarily money. Somebody could write me a check today for a million dollars, and it would bring in. I would be able to do some things, and certainly some improvements in the house, and and have some help and so forth. But that's not going to solve our problem. So it's not necessarily money that we need. It's sustainability. And the goal is not to feel better about all these things, too. We're not trying to feel better about it. My wife's in pain all the time. She's mm-hmm. missing both legs. Mm-hmm. I am never going to feel better about this. But I can be better in it. And that's the goal. The goal is for me to be healthier in this, to be better in this. And I've learned the hard way what it's like when you're not. And where do you begin if you're someone well, listening I, who says, oh, I'm so scared, I, think, I, think, I don't know what to do first? Write this down. I think the first thing you do, do the next right thing. And keep that in front of you at all times. The next right thing may be just to take a nap, okay? Next right thing may just to have a bowl of soup and sit quietly for a minute. Be still for a minute. If you don't take time for stillness, you're going to have to make time for illness. Now, then let's take an inventory. When's the last time you saw your doctor as a caregiver? I went and got lab work yesterday from my doctor. I'm waiting to get the call just to see what my cholesterol's like. But mm-hmm. I got my blood pressure checked yesterday. I have eyes on me medically at least twice a year. So the next right thing may just be for you to go get an appointment with your doctor. And then if you don't have somebody who could sit with your loved one while you go see your doctor, then call your church, call your pastor, call your rabbi, call your priest. And if they won't help you, then get a new pastor, church, rabbi, or priest, <laughs> because that, they're in the business of doing that kind of stuff. They could sit with you. If you need skilled care to sit with you, then contract with the company and ask them, say, can you all underwrite the cost of them sitting with my loved one for four hours with a nurse or, or somebody who is a trained professional while I go see my own doctor? And if you don't get anywhere with your pastor, call me, and I'll call your pastor, But <laughs> because that's what we've got to do. We've got to be very specific on what our needs are. Mm-hmm. I had a lady that that was taking care of her husband for five or six years, still is. Her car broke down. And she finally worked up the nerve to ask somebody at church for some help. And they said, well, bless your heart. You know, we're going to pray for you, and I'm going to bring you a meal. Well, she said, well, I appreciate the prayers. I appreciate the meal, but my car broke down. I'm yeah, a mechanic. Exactly. You know, <laughs> you, you can't drive a tuna casserole to work. Be specific on what your needs are. I need a mechanic. That's the way you, you start. You get very specific on what is the next thing you need. Don't just say, well, I need somebody coming and help me. Well, that's a little vague. Nobody really knows what that looks like. So it might be starting with you going to see your doctor. The next thing is, I would recommend starting going to some type of support group. If you're taking care of Alzheimer's, I guarantee you there's an Alzheimer's support group in your area. And there's certainly things online, but I, I really want to push people to get in front of human contact. Yeah. Uh, sometimes I do like a, a one 2 program, like for your health, for example. Get a flu shot every year. I know a lot of people think that the government's tagging us for alien invasion with that. But if the Klingons come, I don't want the flu. Just get the flu shot and just be done with the tinfoil hat stuff, okay? Just get the flu shot. I mean, when's a good time for you to be hugging the bowl, okay? Yeah. Just get the flu shot. Right. And then two visits a year to your doctor. One well visit, one lab visit. Why wait a whole year to find out you got high blood pressure? Why right. wait a whole year to find out your sugars are borderline diabetic? Right. And then 30 minutes a day of doing something physical. One, two, 30. How hard is that? One, two, 30. 30 minutes a day of just walk. If you have to walk in a circle of your den, walk in a circle, put on some headphones and just walk. Download my audio book and I'll read to you while you walk. Uh-huh. And, and, <laughs> you and, you know, but engage with your body because that's the only body that's standing between your loved one and even worse disaster. 
if I cut my foot, for example, well, who am I to worry about that when my wife doesn't have any feet? Well, these are the only feet she can depend on. Yeah. So I got to take care of them. When you were first starting out, did you talk about this with your guy friends? How did you deal with this just yourself talking about it? I didn't know how to deal with it. I didn't even really consider myself a caregiver for the longest time. And, uh, you know, people don't necessarily self-identify. That's why I did the bit with Jeff Foxworthy and I. We did a You Might Be a Caregiver If uh, that we did for AARP a couple of years ago. That's pretty funny. I saw that. Because Mm -hmm. people don't self-identify. They just say, well, i got to take care of mama. They don't realize that I am a caregiver and this is what this means and this is what it will do to me. I just kind of just went along and learned it as I went and dealt with it because she was my wife. It was my responsibility. And there were times I faced death with her. I've done all these things with her. I wasn't trained for any of this stuff in music school. Mm. You didn't go to Caregiver University? Uh, you know, you and I ought to start that, Jen. <laughs> you know. Caregiver but you. But then again, nobody would show up because we can't get away to go to class. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. <laughs> you know, it's like Rodney Gages when I go, but I got no class. <laughs> we have um, to make house calls. <laughs> so, yeah, we'd have to be online university, be like University of Phoenix, I guess. But I think a lot it, of people um, are afraid of that word, caregivers. That's why they don't self-identify. They don't I, want that I, label. Yeah, I, I think so, and I think, Partly. well, it's just mom or it's just this, but right. but it is. Right. You are a family caregiver. People say, you're a caretaker. I said, no, I'm not a caretaker. I don't take care. I give care. Right. You know? But I know. A caretaker I, uh, watches a hotel or manages a hotel <laughs> and fixes things. Yeah, they, they take care but... of a golf course. Exactly. Um, <laughs> It's like Bill Murray from Caddyshack. Caddyshack. That's a character. <laughs> right. I have to laugh. But, yeah. you know, so I started identifying with that a little bit more about 20 years into this. And my board of directors started realizing, you know, this is who you are. And they came to me and they said, look, we've got this prosthetic limb ministry we started through Standing with Hope that we've been doing. It's mm-hmm. been clipping along here pretty well. Mm-hmm. And it's a great ministry that Gracie's fellow amputees and, and we recycle prosthetic limbs and we collect them from all the country. They go to a local prison in Tennessee where they strip them down to the screw level and we recycle everything that can be recycled and send it over to wow, Africa. That's we fantastic. Right. It's a great work, but they came to me, my board of directors came to me and said, okay, look, this program is going great, but we see a need in our country that we think you're the guy to talk to, and you have a set of skills and understanding and experience that is so far beyond what most people will ever understand in their life, mm-hmm. and we want you to write a book, and we want you to get a show, and I thought, well, sure, why not? Why not? I got nothing else going on in my life, <laughs> so I thought about it a lot, and I thought about, well, what would I say to them? caregivers. And then I had an event one time where, uh, basically, this is kind of embarrassing, Janice, so don't share this with anybody. Okay. But uh, oh, <laughs> just, just twixt you and I. Okay. Um, but I, I had an event one time when I was going through a pretty rough patch, and I had had surgery myself on an appendectomy that went wrong, and doctor messed me up a little bit, and nobody knew how to take care of me, and nobody knew how to take care of my wife. And mm. some family members descended upon us, and they saw, oh, dear Lord, this is an inhuman what Peter and Gracie are going through, and uh, and I couldn't get any sleep, and I was I was I really thought I was losing my mind, which is you know not, not a big loss, but you know <laughs> people have been thinking that for years, and and so I went over to a local mental health hospital here in Nashville, hmm. and I walked up to the front, and I just stood there, and I looked at them, and they said, "Are you lost?" And I started tearing up, and hmm. and I said, "Yeah, yeah, I am," and I said, "Y'all take walk-ins." And they looked at me kind of funny, and, and I thought, yeah, this, this is a mental health hospital. That cannot be the weirdest question they've ever been asked. Yeah. And, and, and I can't be the weirdest-looking person to ever walk in here. But they, you know, God love them. They took me back in the back, and they took my keys and my wallet and my blood pressure, mm. and they set me down in this room that looked like it would seen better days. And um, 
a counselor came in and she spent a lot of time, about two hours, and I just kind of, I just kind of verbally vomited. You ever done that? Oh yeah. You, know, you just kind of oh, yeah. let it all out, and she kind of listened very patient. She was a very sweet lady and very nice uh, and patient. And and she said, uh, well, after listening to me for a while, she said, look, Peter, I can't keep you here. You're not crazy. And I said, can I get that in writing? Because there's some people that really like to see that. <laughs> and she said, no, you're not crazy. You're burnt out. Mm. And she said, uh, I'd recommend a book for you to read, but you're the guy to write it. And I thought about that. And then she said, we got a box lunches we've been giving out to everybody today. we got one left. It's tuna fish. You want it? Oh. And I, I told her, I said, yes, I do. <laughs> so oh. I I went out in the car, and I had my little box lunch with tuna fish sandwich and chip and an apple and a soda in it. Hmm. And I sat there, and I thought about getting a T-shirt that says I tried to have myself committed, and all I got was a tuna sandwich. <laughs> and um, I'd sell dozens of them. And I sat there, and I thought about what she said. You know, I'd, I'd recommend a book for you to read, but you're the guy to write it. Well, what would I say to a fellow caregiver? Want to talk about health insurance? Do I want to talk about how to deal with doctors? Well, I kind of figured that out. That's a kind of a one and done. I've never lost an appeal with an insurance company. That's a one and done. Once you know how to do it, it's not that complicated. Right. Do I talk about giving injections? Nah, nah I can do that. Changing dressings? I can do that, too. That's not where caregivers struggle. And I thought about the matters of the heart. And where caregivers struggle is we have lost ourselves. We are in what I call the fog of caregivers, fear, obligation, and guilt. And we are lost. We are hurting. We are scared. We are weeping. And there are people right now listening to this who tear, big hot tears are filling their eyes. I know because they're filling mine because I understand what that feels like in mm-hmm. ways that people will never understand. I mean, that's what got me sitting out in front of a mental health hospital eating a tuna sandwich, mm-hmm. you know. And this yeah. is what I'm on a mission to do is to speak to that fear, that obligation that leads to resentment, and that guilt that just torments caregivers and help them take a breath and start making better decisions for themselves, knowing that their loved one may not get better, but they have to. That caregiver has to. And I didn't do this to Gracie. I can't undo it. But I don't serve her well if I turn into a wreck of a person, and I've been there. And, yeah. Well, that's what I'm on a mission to do. And it's a great mission that you've been on, and you've been helping so many people. I think when you are going through that, too, it's so hard because you're grieving for yourself, but you're also grieving for that person. And you're just balled up with so many emotions, your own that you don't know how to deal with, but then also your feelings over the loss of that person who you now have to look at and think about very differently. And that's a grieving process. So it's a real big ball of shit. You know, it's just it's a lot to for, well, for one well person said, to handle. Jenna. Well said. <laughs> it's a lot for one person to handle because you know I started taking care of my mom after my father died. He dropped dead of a heart attack at age seventy nine. My career was in the ditch, so I moved into our family home to take care of my then eighty year old mother in our four bedroom house in suburbia. So I became a property manager, a grief counselor, a caregiver someone who was trying to rebuild my career. And amidst all that, I was trying to deal with my father's death. There was so much weighing me down that I actually, in some ways, I didn't even know was weighing me down, that the the odds were just so stacked against me. And no one in my family had ever dealt with anything this 
severe in terms of the loss of a loved one. And, you know, my life changed dramatically. And I didn't know how to talk about it. I don't think people around me knew how to talk to me about it. I think they thought they knew, but they didn't. And so they used these hallmark phrases that you referred to earlier. They took the hallmark approach. And I love what you're doing because giving voice to caregivers, having caregivers share their stories and what they're feeling is so important. We got to make this real. Okay, now I'm going to come down off my soapbox. <laughs> no, no, I love your soapbox. And, and <laughs> that's exactly what I And I love to hear stories from other caregivers because together we get stronger. Isolated, we fall apart. And I speak fluent caregiver. So when caregivers hear me speak, they're hearing somebody in their own native tongue now. And it makes sense to them because finally somebody is speaking what they're feeling. Yeah. But we've been afraid to do it. Or we, well, how, how can we say anything about our own stuff? But look how much my, our loved one suffers. Well, I'm sorry they suffer. I didn't do that to them. I didn't do that to my wife. But we all are grieving, and my goal is to help us learn to not stop grieving, but to grieve healthily, to not grieve with clenched fists, to not grieve with right. tears of despair, but, but healthy tears. My heart breaks every single day, yeah. every day, without question, Jenna, yeah. because I, I look at somebody who I, I care very deeply about. I love passionately. But she suffers tremendously, yeah. and it's frustrating. And we have joyful moments. We have a beautiful family. We have a, a wonderful young grandson who's two years old who is just about mm. as fabulous mm. as I could. I, I told our sons, I said, I, I'd have treated y'all better if I'd known the grandson would <laughs> be so great. But, you know, but we have joy in our life, but it, it is always framed by hardship and suffering. But I can't live in resentment against that. I've got to learn to live peacefully with this, and my passion for my fellow caregivers is that we can live a calmer, healthier, and dare I whisper it, a more joyful life while dealing with very harsh circumstances. Amen. You know, Kim Campbell, Kim Campbell lives down the street from me. Mm. She was on my radio show recently, just before Glenn passed away. Mm -hmm. And we talked about, you know, her finding the joy as she watched this man that she has cared for for 30 years, the the long goodbye that she went through. We talked about, but she found joy even in that. In, in those elements of it, and she was able to rejoice in it. Yeah. And so I, I look for that in fellow caregivers, and I want to pull that out of them so that they can celebrate their own lives in this. Caregivers are worthy of celebrating what you did for your mother and the rest of your family, and posthumously for your father to do this for your mother is worth celebrating. It is worth acknowledging that you are an extraordinary individual to put yourself between your mother and even worse disaster. The word celebrate is really critical here because I think a lot of people look at caregivers as heroic. And I never wanted that label. I never asked for it. I would rather just look upon what I did as a celebration of the gifts that I was given by my parents, and at that point in my life, what was needed for both my mom and me. And it was a win-win situation for the first year, but going into the second and the third year, all alone in that big house, it got very complicated and treacherous for me, emotionally, financially, health-wise. But I love the idea of celebrating the strength of caregivers, and that's what I like to do, because I don't think they're celebrated enough. Frankly, I like to see people standing up at football games and baseball games for caregivers. I swear, we have lost our minds as a society. We are protesting the worst things, and we're featuring people's faces all over the news for the worst of us, and yet we have this vast population who does something extraordinary. And this is something that caregivers need to remember. Every caregiver listening to this right now, I want you to just pay attention to this. If you get nothing out of this, 
we judge ourselves without mercy for our job performance. We always think we should have done this, we should have yep. done this, we just yep. should have all over ourselves. Mm-hmm. But we never, ever, ever judge ourselves for our amazing attendance record, which is flawless. Yeah. We keep showing up. And I think, what is that worth? We keep showing up. And if we're going to judge ourselves, let's be honest and judge ourselves on the whole. Yeah, we're screwing things up. We mess up. We do all these things. But we keep showing up yep. every single day to our own detriment at times. Mm-hmm. And I think that is worth acknowledging and that is worth standing up and shouting about. And I hope that all that you are listening right now that are, are caregivers right now will take a moment to just take a deep breath, four seconds in and eight seconds out, and say this to yourself, I show up. And just say it. Say it out loud. Because that's how you're going to get through this, to recognize that you are not a punching bag for this disease, this impaired loved one, or family members, or even the medical community that want to tell you how you're not doing it right. Yeah. Screw them. What do they know? What do they know? Exactly. And you have to be that person who stands up for yourself, not just the person you're caring for. I wanted to ask how your kids handled all of this, your two sons, throughout this whole journey with your wife. I have amazing sons. Uh, I really do. They have a depth to them that is extraordinary. I've watched them literally carry their mother on their back. They get frustrated with her like any kids will with sure. their parents. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't care if you're missing both legs, Mom. You can't do that while I'm trying to hit the ball in baseball. Oh. You, know, you, you can't <laughs> yell out and do stuff. I mean, they, we have a normal family dynamic when it comes to that. It's just intensified by the relentless challenges. And Are they've they had their moments where they... Uh, one of them is uh, here in Nashville, and the other one lives in Birmingham. So it's not terribly far. Okay. It's three hours. Mm-hmm. That's the one with our grandson. So I'm really struggling with that because I really, I mean, not, not that I don't want to see every both of them every day, but I, sure. I really like seeing oh, that yeah. baby. And yeah. Um, yeah. But but we're going to have Christmas with he and his wife, and they were just up here. Uh, you so going down we, to Birmingham? We, we see them a lot. Oh, little town of Birmingham. I think that's what it says in the song. Uh-huh. And, um, <laughs> <laughs> and you can okay. write that down. They have celebrated with their mother on so many occasions, you know, and because of who she is and what she's done. I mean, I was able to introduce them to a couple of presidents and governors and senators when hmm. she's performed at various things. And uh, your wife so they've sings, had a yeah. very rich life. Oh, oh. she's yeah, and she's a no no kidding singer. You know, they went over to Africa and and been over there with us numerous times to to work with the ministry on it. And mm-hmm. uh, our youngest mm-hmm. son Grayson. Just an amazing young man, and when he was in middle school, he won a contest for um, students who it, it was to come up with a new use for bubble wrap. And so, hmm. we had been listening to one of our patients over there in Africa. He was a young boy named Daniel, and he was about 15. And we provided him with a leg, but it was just a pylon in the foot. It didn't have the cosmetic covering, and he wanted one because the kids teased him at school. Hmm. And so, the cosmetic coverings for prosthesis are pretty expensive, and and so Grayson was listening to this, and he thought about that contest, and he said, well, how about a bubble wrap cosmetic covering so I could wrap it around it, form it with a heat gun, and, and melt wow, it. Wow, what a shape great like a idea. Thigh, and then pull a, a dark-colored hose over it so it looks like a, a cosmetic leg, and the bubbles face inward. Well, he did it, and wow. you know, we thought, well, this will never win because it's not going to make any money. And all of a sudden, he got into the semifinals, then he got into the finals, and darn if he didn't win this thing, a nationwide contest, and he was in People Magazine and all over the wow. place, BBC, and I mean, just everywhere. He was wow. everywhere. This is when he was in middle school. And somebody asked me, said, how does he stay so grounded? I said, well, he has a very severely disabled mother, and I've introduced him to the President of the United States, and I've introduced him to 
an amputee in Africa that has leprosy. So I think that's a pretty good balance. Yeah, to I'll keep say. his head in the game mm. of what's important. So they both are fine young men. They look after me. They're very affectionate with me and their mother. Mm-hmm. And that's uh, sweet. I hug on them and kiss on them, and and they we walk through hard things as a family. They've seen my flaws that they don't throw bricks at me, you know, and uh, we've pulled together as a family through all of these things. And we've sat around many a hospital bed and many a doctor's office and so forth. And uh, we just do it. And we and I'm, I'm very grateful for them. They have they are they're fine young men. That is awesome. Well, Peter, so thank you for asking. Of course. I don't want to take too much more of your time. Do you have any last thoughts that you would like to leave with our listeners before we close? You know, healthy caregivers make better caregivers. And it's okay for you to be a healthy caregiver. In fact, it's not only okay, it's imperative. Healthy caregivers make better caregivers. And if you're not healthy today, today's a great day to start. You don't have to come up with some kind of great 12-point plan. Just do the next right thing. Do something simple. Grab an apple instead of a Snickers bar. You know, I understand what it's like to overeat and, and to get big. I got so big it took two dogs to bark at me. You know, but, but we... Um, <laughs> you know, but you, you didn't get here overnight. You're not going to get out of it. The weight that you're carrying is so many caregivers pack on a lot of weight. It's one of the, the landmines in my book, Seven Caregiver Landmines. Mm-hmm. You know, I got so big, my nickname was Dang. You know, I mean, <laughs> we, we get that. But the weight yeah. we're really carrying is around our hearts. Our hearts are just weighed down with this, with grief and with sorrow. And I'm here on a mission to tell you that you could breathe this thing out. You could slowly walk yourself back to a place of safety where you can make better decisions. It's not going to be solved. I can't solve your stuff anymore than you solve mine. But the goal is that when we do stand at a grave, and that's the goal, is that we're the ones standing at the grave, mm-hmm. that we're doing so without clenched fist, without being resentful at our loved ones, at family and friends who, sh- who should have helped more but didn't, or at doctors or ourselves or at God. We don't want to live like that. We could grieve it out in a healthy manner, and we could do this. But we're not going to do it in isolation. We're going to do it as a community of people coming together and reinforcing these things to each other. I need you, Jana, to tell me these things. Everything I've told you today, I need you to remind me of tomorrow. I have caregiver amnesia. Don't we all? And and we do. And so that's why your show is so important, because we've got to keep reminding each other of these things in a way that makes sense to our fellow caregivers and is compassionate with the tremendous load that they're carrying. I see you. When I look at caregivers, when I go out and speak to caregivers at conferences and so forth, and I can't travel as much as other speakers, but I stay pretty busy. But when I go and do these things, you know, I look at an audience, and there are moments when I have to break eye contact because we'll all start weeping, you know, because I could see it. I see it on you. I could see it in your eyes. I see it on your faces. When you've done it for as long as I have and you've looked at what I've had to look at for all these years, you see it. And so I want my fellow caregivers to be encouraged that. There is a place of safety for you emotionally. It's not going to come without cost and without tears, but it can come without rage. It can come without despair. It can come without you feeling like you've got to be eating a tuna sandwich out front of a mental hospital. <laughs> and that's what we're going to do, and we can do it together. And Jana, you and I now are lifelong buds in this, and we're partners in this journey. And I'm very yep. grateful that you love me to come on your show. Keeping it real with Peter Rosenberger. He's a 30-year caregiver, radio host, author, speaker, and advocate for family caregivers. His weekly radio show, Caregivers with Hope, is syndicated nationally and broadcast worldwide. We'll have links on the AgeWise website to all the ways you can connect with Peter. But if you want to get to it right now, go to Caregivers with Hope. 
hope.com. That's caregivers, plural, with hope.com. Peter Rosenberger, thank you so much for being on the show and for all the ways that you give comfort to millions of family caregivers. You are a can of Red Bull coming through this radio show. (laughs) (laughs) My pleasure, Jenna. My pleasure. Okay. That's it for today. Thanks for joining us. We'll be back next week with a brand new episode. In the meantime, if you like this show, if you're getting something out of it, I want you to tell your friends about it because I want everyone to know you're not alone. Your stories matter and your voices have power. So share this with your friends, share the love, and subscribe to the show wherever you get your podcasts. Leave us a review. Rate us. The AgeWise podcast is produced by me, and it's distributed on the nationally syndicated Speak Up Talk radio network. I'm Jana Panaritis. See you next time. And remember, every caregiver has a story. I want to hear yours.